Good morning and welcome to what's going to be a four-part series of Mindset Nuggets. I'm going to teach from, I'm going to impart some wisdom and drop some knowledge on you from The Four Agreements. It's an amazing little tiny book. If you're watching the podcast on YouTube or wherever, you see me holding it. It's a very tiny little book by Don Miguel Ruiz. And it really is, it says it's called a Toltec wisdom book. It's from the um, kind of ancient civilization of the Toltecs. And it really is an amazing book. Uh, it also says it's a practical guide to personal freedom. This is something that I was introduced to about four years ago. And now my husband and I just buy copies and copies and copies of them, of these little books and give them to people when we have them over for dinner, or really I travel with them and give them to people I'm sitting next to on the plane after I get chatting them up. They, it really is just an amazing gift. And I'm going to spend the next four weeks, once a week, we're going to talk through one of the four agreements. And today's agreement is about being impeccable with your word. So let's not worry about what the other agreements are right now, unless you want to go out and get the book and read it. It is a great afternoon read. You could read it in probably under three hours. It really is very short, but it is packed with wisdom. So I think that if we go one week at a time and one agreement at a time, it will really let this sink in. And so the person I'm thinking of in my mind as I do this podcast are other people like me who are working with really high stress and working with, um, you know, loaded weapons. So like I'm not in law school working on pretend assignments um, or writing memos and things like that to practice my writing. No, when I write a brief or I'm working with coworkers or colleagues, I'm working on real life cases. This is very stressful. I'm also raising kids. So I'm thinking about the moms and dads out there who are in the process of raising kids. It's a lifelong journey as well. And we're working with real life things and it can be very stressful because you wanna say the right things to your kids. And then the other person I'm thinking of is maybe someone who you know, you're in the country and you don't have immigration status and you're really trying to sort through, you're hearing a lot of things. You have a lot of beliefs about yourself and about what the system is like. And so I'm thinking about you and I want to gift this to you because I, I think this will help you live in a present place of heaven where a lot of our thoughts and a lot of what we think in our mind and what we feel in our body as a result, you know, our emotions and even the way that our, our stomach works and everything else, it's tied to our thoughts. And if we're living in hell in our mind, our environment is hell as well. And so I want to take all of us into um, an opportunity to be free living in a, an environment of heaven instead of, of hell. So let's get started. When we're thinking about being impeccable with your word, let's talk about what the word is and what impeccable means. So first the word is um, the word is truth and truth is very powerful. So the things we say to each other, including the thoughts we think about ourselves and others, that is the word. The things that we believe is the word. And to be impeccable with the word, to be impeccable with the truth or our beliefs is to be without sin. And that can kind of have a religious connotation. I grew up in a um, in a Christian upbringing. And so when I think about sin, I think about something that is very wrong. And, and while that could be true for some people, 
I think in this context, when we talk about being impeccable, we think about, I don't want it to be perfect because impeccable, I think can easily, we can think about it being perfect, but instead I want to think about it. And this is not in, this is my spinoff of, um, Don Miguel Ruiz's book, but I want to think about it without darkness. So if I am being impeccable, the words I say have light and have life, they are life giving words. If I am with sin, with my words or with darkness, with my words, that's breaking this agreement. So when I'm impeccable with my word, they are, it's the truth spoken with light. So this may start to sound a little woo woo, but stay with me because it really matters. I want to talk about some examples of how we see this agreement being impeccable with our word, how I see it broken all the time. So I'm going to use kind of four examples Um, maybe three examples. One, when we're children, um, how we see our parents break this agreement with us and the world as parents, how we break the agreement with our children. And then our children carry that broken agreement on. And then as adults, so kind of each phase that we may or may not be in, not everybody's going to be a parent, but everyone's probably going to be an aunt or an uncle or a mentor to other people. So as I talk about it, even with, in the context of being a parent, it doesn't have to be literal. So, and if you were raised by like, when you think about your parents and maybe you don't really want to think about them, maybe it was your grandparents, maybe it was your aunts and uncles who raised you, you get the idea. So let's talk about how we see this agreement broken. As children, we believe what our parents or our caretakers tell us to believe about the world. So an example boy, isn't that guy ugly? We then as children, when we hear our parents say that about someone else, we see that guy. And now we understand that that guy is ugly. And so now we begin to believe and we understand what ugly is. We, none of us were born knowing what beautiful and ugly was. None of us were born knowing that one person and one standard of beauty is more important or beautiful than another. We were taught that. So it's so interesting when you look at other cultures, and this is just coming to my mind, I should have researched it beforehand, but I'm thinking about the cultures in Africa where having a really long neck is beautiful and the women will wear these rings around their neck to stretch their neck. Someone has taught them that a very long neck is very beautiful. And similarly, I think about a long time ago in Japan where women would wrap their feet to keep their feet very, very small because that was a standard of beauty. After I had kids, I look back on this and I kind of, I love myself for it, but it's also kind of wild. I would wear a waist slimmer, like this garment that was kind of like a, kind of like a corset and the Kardashians advertised it. And the Kardashians today in the United States whether you like it or not, really set the standard for what we believe is beautiful. And so when our parents say, like from the time we're children, someone teaches us to to believe what's beautiful, what's ugly, what's right, what's wrong, what's kind, what's not, we believe what our parents tell us about the world. Another example of this is that man is dangerous. Our parents teach us who is and isn't dangerous, usually from the way they look. So across cultures, 
we are being taught. And a lot of these things are very racist because our parents have broken the agreement within themselves about what other people are and, and what they represent. So then parents will teach us that man is dangerous. Now this can, this really is across rate, uh, really across races, especially in the United States where certain people are viewed as unsafe and our parents teach us that. And we believe them because as children, we know that we can't survive, especially remember when we were infants, we couldn't survive without mom or dad or grandma, grandpa, whoever was our caretaker, literally keeping us alive. So we grow up knowing that our survival is tied to this person. And this person is telling me that that man or that woman or this race is dangerous. Don't stop for gas in that neighborhood because it's dangerous. Our kids then believe that. As children, we believe that. And that's how we start to see this agreement broken where we're not being impeccable with our word and those dark seeds are planted in our minds and we believe them. Another example is that person needs to learn English. Our parents tell us this. I remember this when I was a kid hearing this. Um, I don't think it was necessarily from my parents, but I, I, it may well have been, um, and being in Garden City, Kansas, which is a small town that's actually about 50-50 Hispanic and Caucasian in Kansas, which is a, a surprising demographic in Kansas because Kansas is predominantly white. You go out to Garden City and there's a large Hispanic population. And I remember being at a gas station there as a kid and hearing that person needs to learn English or that person needs to go back where they came from. Don't they know they're in America now? And as kids, we start to believe these things because we start, we hear them from our parents. The agreement is made. This is what someone should do. That is the truth about this thing. One more example, that religion is crazy. I can't believe people would believe those things. And to be honest, I've heard it about Christianity too. And it is kind of crazy when we think about it, but who would believe that God could or would impregnate a teenage girl. And that that is the way that we're going to bring about the savior of the world. Like that's pretty crazy. I mean, that's what a lot of people believe. Um, and so, I mean, and, and a lot of people believe things about other religions. I know, um, growing up in the Baptist church, it was crazy. The Catholics believed that it was okay to drink alcohol. Like, those are just a bunch of, they're just justifying it because they're a bunch of alcoholics. Meanwhile, a lot of people in my family who were off, off the booze at the time and then got back on the booze, they, uh, they probably would have fit in better and had a lot happier life being Catholic because then they wouldn't have carried around so much guilt and shame about the fact that they were drinking alcohol. But I digress. I use these as examples because as children, we hear these things from mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever's our caregiver, and we believe them. But as you can see, none of these things are true. These are all broken agreements, things that we're not being parents, we're not being impeccable with their word. And yet we, we adopt them as children because we don't know that mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, preacher, aren't being impeccable with their word. We just believe them. And then we adopt those beliefs ourselves. And it's time for us as adults to challenge those beliefs by being impeccable with our word. 
Okay, next example of how we're not impeccable with our word, how we see this agreement broken is when we're parents. Oh, as I was writing this, I started to really think about the things that I've done as a parent and I feel I, I, um, I have room for improvement. So none of this is a judgment, but this is, these are real life examples. So as parents, we tell our children things and then our children believe them about themselves. So I was just using the example when we're kids, we believe what mom and dad tell us about ourselves, mom and mom, dad and dad tell us about ourselves. And then we go live it out in the world, or we believe it about other people. One example is as as a parent, we, my husband is a prime example of this, where he remembers a time when um, he was told by a parent that he couldn't sing. And so for the rest of his life, because he really valued that parent's opinion, he has believed about himself that he can't sing when he actually has a beautiful singing voice. And it's, it is so much fun when he will finally like let that belief go and sing because he has a beautiful singing voice and he can remember all the lyrics of every single song. So I, I think it's really important that just because you're a parent, when we're a parent, what we say to our kids has a lot of power, whether or not we're being impeccable with it is the problem is the thing that we have to fix. Okay. Something for me that always comes up from a parent when when I was a kid, my parents would say things to me like, who do you think you are? And then you start to think, who, who do I think I am? Apparently, I think I'm, I give myself more esteem than I'm supposed to. I'm not super important. I need to, I need to bring myself down a peg. Um, parents tell their kids, we as parents tell our kids, um, you'll never be able to do that. That's crazy. You're never going to be able to do that. You need to go get a job. You're not going to, you know, I, I think this is really a big deal with them. It used to be kids who wanted to be famous YouTubers, and now they want to be famous TikTokers, uh, TikTok famous, and go make millions of dollars by being on TikTok, being influencers. Parents, I feel you because we want our kids to like have some stability. But if if we tell our kids, you can't do that, or you you need a backup plan, or all of the the old wisdom that you and I have been given, we actually are kind of poo-pooing on our belief in our kids, where if we really believe, like when our kids are three or four years old and we tell them you can be anything you want to be, are we lying to our kids then? Or when they tell us what they want to be and we tell them you need a backup plan that may not work out. Maybe they want to go be a famous actor in New York City and be on Broadway and be headlined in shows. And we tell them, you're probably going to want a backup plan. Why don't you go to college and get, you know, such and such degree first so you could go teach if Broadway doesn't work out for you? Are we, are we really being impeccable with our word when we tell them when they're three, four, five, six, seven years old that you can be anything you want to be and then later change that narrative because we don't fully believe in them? And their potential. So I think as parents, what we're saying to our kids, they're processing it and it's shaping how they, what they believe about themselves. Maybe I'm not good enough to go beyond Broadway and make it big. Maybe I'm not, you know, um, no one looks like me in the white house. No one has ever looked like me in the white house. I'm not using me exactly. 
like Hillary Walsh, but maybe that's what this kid is thinking. And you're like, there's never been, let's, let's use a Mexican American. There's never been a Mexican American in the white house. Uh, what, who, what makes you think that you're going to be the first one elected president? We internalize that word spoken with darkness into ourselves when our parents tell us that. And so parents, when we say those things to our kids, you're speaking disbelief into their dreams. We speak disbelief into their dreams. Okay. The next one is get a job, get a job, get a job, get a job. You need to get a job. Kids, kid, you need to get a job. Don't be out working like a donkey like me. Get a job in an office. So you're in air conditioning. You have, you're able to sit. So you're not out working yourself to the bone like me. What this says to your kids is that whatever your dream is, all I want to know is that you have security because you need someone else to provide the security for you. You need someone else, a boss, to give you a comfortable work environment and a steady paycheck. That's what I want for you, my child. Now, I totally get where that's coming from. I, I hear where that is coming from. But is that honoring of your kids' dreams? Is that, if we say that to our kids, is that honoring of their dreams and who they believe themselves to be, or does it make them smaller? Okay, next up. As adults, so that was children, we've got parents, and now as adults, how do we break this agreement? It's like all the time we break this agreement to what we say to others. And then it's also a reflection about what we believe about ourselves and then our friends or coworkers or colleagues, or even perfect strangers internalize it about themselves and they believe it about themselves. So examples that are really easy to go through, what are you wearing? What are you, what are you wearing today? So like, as if you ought not be wearing a certain thing. Who cares what social norms are, right? Like, doesn't that just, if, if you hear someone say that to you, what are you wearing? Isn't that such an incredible reflection of what they believe about themselves? Because they believe they need to dress like everybody else in order to be safe in the world or order to, in order not to stick out or whatever. And they see you wearing something. Maybe it is ridiculous, like on a, you know, maybe you even think it's ridiculous, you know? Um, and I say that like in a fun way, maybe it's like truly a wild outfit that, that is breaking all social norms, but someone says to you, what are you wearing? And then if you believe them, if you think, what am I wearing? Like this was a fashion risk. I left the house. Like I put myself together. I thought this was a good outfit and I've, I've left the house now and someone is calling me out and I feel really embarrassed. So I think that whoa, that's an easy way for us to um, internalize what other people are saying. Another one is don't you look fancy, which implies like this, someone saying to us implies that we're dressing again or, you know, acting in a way that is higher than what other people around us think that we ought to be acting or showing up as. When someone sees my makeup and, you know, I, I always get um, these fake eyelashes glued on, they're like eyelash extensions. And people will say to me, I, I like it. I've had people say to me, uh, I like a more natural look myself. And I mean, I have bleach blonde hair. 
Um, I've had plastic surgery. Um, I have eyelashes glued on my face. I wear makeup. Like, look, I like a natural look too, but I'm clearly not going for a natural look. So when people say that type of thing to me, I have had to think, do I look fake? And, and, you know, you start to internalize these things. And this is just from perfect strangers saying something. So I say this as an example, not because if you said this to me, it's not, it doesn't hurt my feet. It has not hurt my feelings, but it has made me once again, go within and think, am I happy with the way I'm showing up? Am I going to let this other person kind of poison me if I believe what they say? Because their word is only truth if I believe it. The other, the other one is you're wasting your money. I'm going to use an immigration example because this happens so often where clients will come in, they'll hire new frontier immigration law and the legal services are expensive, but they're going for it. We have told them that, yeah, I know you've talked to other lawyers and this, this is going to seem like an option that is a stretch because everybody else has told you it's not possible when in fact, yes, you can fix your papers here in the United States. You don't have to leave. We're going to get you your green card here. You're going to be able to petition for your, your kiddo who's in your home country, who's never been here. We're going to petition for him and be able to bring him here. And you're not even married to, and don't even know a single U S citizen. So it's not like you have some family member here and people's minds are just blown. And then they go and they tell a friend about it. And their friend says, you are wasting your money. I have known lots of people who are in that exact same situation. And all they ended up with was spending a whole bunch of money on a lawyer who disappeared and disappointed them. That's going to be you too. If we choose to, like that's someone who that can freak people out so bad because in their heart of hearts, they're worried that that might be true. And so then they hear that from someone else, they internalize it and it can be it can be very rattling and it can make us believe things that are not true. This is an agreement that is, um, that is full of darkness rather than light. Okay. Here are three ways. I hope these examples are helpful in, in what we're saying to people, how we notice whether we're on the receiving end or whether we're on the giving end, the things that we're saying are constantly filled with untruth or with darkness or with projection would be another way to describe it. So here's three ways that we can honor the agreement to be impeccable with ourselves, with our word, with ourselves and with others. How can I be without sin in what I say in truth to others and myself? How can I speak light and life and more and goodness to people and myself. Like really this is an inside job because once you fix it internally, everything else that will flow out of you will be full of light and beauty and giving rather than full of darkness and um, hate really, it really comes down to hate. So speaking of which, number one, I'm going to give you, it looks like I've got in my notes, I have three examples and then we're going to conclude. So number one, the first number one way that you can honor this agreement with yourself, stop breaking this agreement with yourself, stop living in hell, start living in your own personal heaven is to recognize that self-rejection is the greatest offense possible to yourself. It's self-hate. So this is, this is something that's constant in our society and it's poisoning all of us. One by one, we hate ourselves. 
I don't like the way I look. Look, I'm pushing 40 and I really don't like that because I don't mind the age. I love the way I feel. I, my energy is better than when I was 22. My energy is really better now because I decided that I was not going to drink poison, AKA alcohol anymore about 18 months ago. And that's been so good. Um, but I do not like the fact that my, I got crow's feet. I got lines. I got these, I don't smoke. I had the, like, you know, the smokers lines coming in. I'm very self-critical. And when you look at yourself in the mirror, this is something I'm talking to Hillary right now. I'm talking to all my other brothers and sisters who might do the same thing. You look at yourself in the mirror and you see all the things you don't like. That's not being impeccable with your word because the thoughts you think about yourself are that those are things of self-hatred. And it is poison to yourself. So aging, like on a on a academic level, I understand that aging is just part of life, and I want to prevent it. I, you know, I aging is part of life, comma, but I want to prevent it. That is because I have been taught and believed from the time I was very young that youth was beautiful. So 22, 25 year old, 28 even. Like that age is so beautiful. And that's why we see all of our models being that age anymore. They're even younger and younger. But when that is what I'm told, and that's what you are told is a standard of beauty. When we don't see that in ourselves, we begin to hate ourselves. And so we have to break this. We have to break the belief, the wrong belief and correct it by knowing that when I reject myself, it is the greatest sin against myself that is physically possible. And it's the greatest sin against humanity because then my children see it. The things I speak are reflections of the fact that I do not like the way that I look, et cetera. So it really is having fun. For me, the shift is to have fun with the way you look rather than trying to make it into something that it's not. Like I'm just not ever going to look 28 years old again. But I don't need to. I can have fun with being close to 40 and really enjoying the way that I look now because I'm never going back and I'm going forward. So I might as well just enjoy what I have right now. And that is very, very fun. Number two is recognizing that we are the only species who punishes ourselves over and over for our mistakes. So let's think about this. Every time, let's think about your biggest screw up in life the time that you wish you could go back and make this better, the time that, you know, you said something that you regret for the rest of your life. There's no putting that toothpaste back in the tube. There's no unringing that bell. It's been rung. Uh, there's a, my husband says, you know, you can't unsay the F word in front of mom. Once you said the F word in front of mom, you said it. Um, I love that phrase. So go back to that time. And every time you relive that mistake, you punish yourself over and over again for it. We, as humans, we all do it. We, I mean, not all of us, there's, there's some fancy people I'm sure who are very enlightened and who have found a way to do this. But I go back to a time when I was living in Korea and I think about how I was a big gossip. I was a gossip. I was so bored. And I would gossip about people and just basically stir the pot. This is seven or eight years ago now, almost nine years ago. And I think back to that time and I'm really ashamed of myself and like the people I acted 
so out of um, alignment with, out of integrity with, I still like when I think about who I think about perhaps running into them, you'll get that like shudder of who I really hope that doesn't happen because I'm a different person now and they don't know that. And I still have a lot of judgment about being a gossip. And so, you know, if you think about, let's think about polar bears, polar bears are the first thing that came to my mind. There's no way that a polar bear nine years later is still thinking about something that the polar bear did nine years ago and is punishing itself, herself, himself over and over and over again. There's no way that there's a bird flying around. I mean, I don't even know what the life cycle is of a bird, but there's no way that there's a bird flying around and is thinking over and over and over again about something it did nine years ago. And every time it comes to mind, it it feels shame. Humans, we are unique in that we are the only ones who are spending this much time literally self-abusing ourselves over and over and over again. So I think about clients when I talk to them and they've entered the country illegally. They crossed like, you know, 1997, 1998, maybe 2020, maybe 2021, whenever it was. You talk to people and a lot of times you can see when I ask, you know, in an immigration context, it's important. Did you enter the country with or without permission? Because if you entered with permission, then we may be able to help you fix through your kid who's 21 and is a U.S. citizen. But if you didn't, we need to go through a different route in order to figure out if you're eligible to be able to get your green card or, or work permit. And so I'll ask people, and that's like the first question right out the gate is we need to know this information. And a lot of people will have a lot of shame about it. And they will, their eyes, like the the clues I have are their eyes will look down, like their their eyes and their face will tilt down and they'll kind of like shake their head, bob their head. Yes, I entered, I entered illegally. Or, or they'll say, which is even sadder, I'm an illegal. And so now they have like not even just believed and judged themselves for this thing that they did, but now they have associated the punishment with their identity. So for example, I I would say if someone asked me, you know, when you were living in Korea, did you gossip? My, my behavior would be the same. I would look down and I would nod my head and I would shake it. And I would just be like, yes, I did. But I wouldn't then look up at someone and say, I am a gossip because that's not who I am. But so many people in the immigration context, especially when you're undocumented, have associated that they are this thing. When I just want to liberate people from that right now and say that something that you did, whether it was last week or 45 minutes ago, or if it was 15, 20, 50 years ago, I don't care. You are not that thing. You are not that thing. And you don't need to judge yourself over and over and over for it. This is self-punishment. It's self-abuse. It's one thing for us to take responsibility for our decisions. And I think that the real way to take responsibility for our decisions is to not repeat them and is to try to make it right. So for me, gossip, because I was a gossip and I saw how toxic it was, I have zero tolerance for gossip in my life. I can't have it with my friends. I can't have it with my coworkers. It is something that I have just completely cut out of my life. Um, and I'm sure that there's still room for improvement, but I am doing my darndest to try to eliminate that from my life. In an immigration context, get working to get your papers, I think is the greatest way of healing 
um, if you enter the country without permission, finding out, going in for a consultation, pursuing this, knowing that someday this may work is a great way of honoring and taking responsibility for our actions without abusing ourselves for them. So if you're coming into a consultation with me, there's no judgment from me. And there certainly shouldn't be from you about any of your decisions or circumstances in your life. They simply are. They're not good and they're not bad. This is good and bad is something that someone taught us. There are agreements that we saw mom and dad or grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, pastor, priest teach us. And so we believed them. And then now we act on them. And those are societal norms. So come in for this consultation with me and once, twice, three times, whatever it is, these are the facts. Let me see how I can help you from an immigration context. Next, for my lawyer friends, this is a big one because we punish ourselves over and over when we make mistakes. So perhaps you've missed a deadline. Oh my gosh, that's the worst. I have, I have, um, I have done it, <laughs> and I've gotten in trouble. Um, you know, I've, I've missed deadlines for a client, and you know, we had to report my, I had to report myself to the state bar and explain what happened and explain how it's not going to happen again. And it is something that is so, so damning for you personally, your reputation. Uh, you think really negatively about yourself because you've jacked with somebody's life. We talked at the beginning about like, we're not playing with a toy weapon here. We're playing with a loaded weapon. This is real lives that we are working with every single day. And then when you make a mistake and you mess up somebody's life, you feel horrible. That is where if we continue to abuse ourselves and continue to judge ourselves and to punish ourselves over and over, perhaps by making ourselves small. So the deadlines that have been missed in my firm have usually been because associates missed the deadline, largely because I'm not good at delegating. And that's been something that I've learned to improve on. So I delegate to an associate. They don't calendar it. The, the deadline passes. This is the two circumstances. This has happened in my firm. And, you know, we have now made all these different ways of making sure the deadlines are not missed, like hell or high water. These deadlines cannot be missed. Every single circumstance is thought through and planned on. What I could have done is to say, I'm not having associates. I'm not having associates because that's the problem. It's not delegation is the problem. Hillary Walsh is the problem. When we have, uh, we have deadlines missed, the system is the problem. It can be fixed. So don't make yourself small. If you're an immigration lawyer and whether it's, you made a mistake in court, you late filed something, you had a bad string of whatever's, you know, you signed up a whole bunch of the wrong case types and you've had to call and apologize to people and give them their money back. Don't beat yourself up over this. Do not overjudge yourself for this. Don't even judge yourself for it. A mistake is a, ma a mistake take personal responsibility for it, move on, do not feel shame. Okay. Parents, when we get home and we're tired and we're dealing with our kids and our kids are being kids, we have to think, how do I want to talk to myself when I was that age? Not how did my parents talk to me when I was that age? How do, how, when I was that age, would I want to have been spoken to? And that is the way it's, you know, the, they talk about the golden rule where it's do unto others as you want done to you. And then there's the platinum rule, which is do unto others as they want done to them. 
So the easiest way for me to imagine talking to my eight-year-old when I'm upset with her and she's upset with me and she's, we're having a showdown is not to talk to her how I want to be talked to. But I think when Hillary was eight years old, when I try to really think about when I was eight years old and mom and dad were probably talking to me the way I am now talking to my Lucy, how is it that I could speak to that girl? And you kind of then reverse the roles and you think about it because just because mom and dad spoke to me that way doesn't make it right. Instead, as parents, we can really think about, and this is also very healing because then in that moment, we go back in time and we can redo some of the damage that perhaps was done by not our parents not being honorable and impeccable with their word to us. Last but not least, ways that we can, the third way that we can really honor this agreement to be impeccable with our, our word is to honor our commitments. So if you're doing things that you hate doing, perhaps you have to keep doing them. I don't like, I do not like homework with my kids, mostly because it just proves to me how bad at math I really am. But there are things that I have to do. And there are things that I'm doing that I don't have to do. I don't want to go to networking events and talk to a bunch of people who I, I'm not friends with you. I'm not rubbing shoulders with you for a reason. Like you have no interest in me. I have no interest in you. I don't want to go to this networking event because I would be uncomfortable. But if I commit to that and then I go to it anyway, I am not being impeccable with my word. I'm honoring and going to this commitment because I have to, but I do not want to be there. So I'm like punishing myself in a way. Instead, I think for me, I just say no to those types of things. And if I've already committed to it, if I can, without damaging anybody else's plans, back out and say, you know what, I committed to this, but this is no longer in alignment with what I want to do with my time, then that is very honoring to your word. Being, instead of with darkness, with our words, with light, with our words, where can we do more of that? In conclusion, when we are impeccable with our word, we live in heaven instead of hell. Hell's where we where the things that people say to us verify our dark feelings that we secretly feel and believe about ourselves. And heaven is this place where we're, where we feel love and appreciated and honoring of ourselves. And then the things we hear and see affirm that. And like, if you tell me that I am really, really, really fat, I'm just not going to believe you because I know myself not to be a really, really fat person. I know that, I mean, I've got, I got some, uh, flab (laughs) that I am working on to get toned. I'm not going to believe you if you tell me that I'm morbidly obese. I'm just not going to believe you. But what if, what if someone tells you that and you believe that about yourself, the things that they're saying to you are poison and further put you into hell. I mean, I have bleach blonde hair and uh, big fake eyelashes and I dress up and all these other things. People could tell me that I look like a bimbo. I would have to then choose whether or not to believe them. And it would rattle me. I mean, it it could rattle me if I let it, that someone could say that about me. But I feel really confident that I know that I am not a bimbo. I'm a smart girl who can figure problems out. So I'm going to believe that about myself. Okay. So as you kind of 
it's weird. My zoom just gave me a thumbs up on my recording and no one else is in my zoom room. So it's very strange. Maybe it's telling me get on with the show. You're not a bimbo. Um, I invite you to live in heaven. I invite you to be honorable and impeccable with your word. The things you say have power and the things that we hear have power. So as parents, neighbors, brothers, sisters, we have to challenge what we have been taught. We have to be, we have to challenge what we've been taught about beauty standards and what other people are and what they're saying and what they believe and who we are, what people have said about who we are. We have to challenge all of those things, but it really starts on the inside. I am a beautiful creation of the creator of the universe. I am worthy of everything. doesn't matter what I look like, what my job is. Um, I am worthy of everything that I desire. I hope you have a wonderful day. If you have an immigration issue, I want you to reach out and, and, and contact me. If you've ever called yourself an illegal, it's time for us to not only get that judgment out of you, but to empower you to have papers because that judgment is there because of a desire that you have for yourself. I want you to have it. If you think that I am too short, too fat, too skinny, too muscular, too flabby, too whatever, you aren't. You are exactly who you are in this moment because that's exactly who you need to be today. If you have desire to grow and be different, honor that that is what the desire is, not that you are to something. I love you. I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll see you next week for our second agreement from the four agreements. My friend, I'm so glad you joined me today. If you have a friend or family member who may need some immigration law guidance or even just day-to-day encouragement, please send them a text or email or a DM on social media and say, hey, I think this podcast is gonna help you. I sure wish someone had given me the tips I'm sharing here years and years ago when I was starting out as an immigration lawyer. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Adios.